Well, guys, uh, I don't know if you've heard, but a new epidemic just dropped. Apparently, we're all so sad and lonely. But uh, but but seriously, (laughs) checks out. (laughs) It's apparently, yeah, uh, you know, it's it's officially uh, reached the level of public health risk. Uh, the Department of Health is saying that it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day, which I got to say, if you're doing something that cool, smoking 15 cigarettes a day, you wouldn't be sad and lonely, right? You'd be hanging out, making friends, you know, oh, that's mm-hmm. it. It's it's the elimination of the smoke break from our culture that is causing all this loneliness. Like, so we've exchanged like one uh, supposedly deadly pastime for another by you know eliminating by destroying what was left of community under neoliberalism that was it it was the smoke break it's another crime of rob reiner's hollywood to just Mm -hmm. chalk up on the board the black book of rob reiner (laughs) well uh luckily bloomberg's come to the rescue and um you know, in their article talking about this, they they do give us some advice on potential steps to take to, to get ourselves out of our, our loneliness funk here. Uh, Number one, I think it's listen great to that- podcasts. Is that, is that what they say? <laughs> yeah, listen to podcasts that are being created by people who are all individually alone in rooms who are only chatting via, uh, you know, an internet camera connection. <laughs> Develop parasocial relationships to the exclusion of real ones. That is the best advice anybody can give. Uh, So here's Bloomberg. Fixing society's loneliness problem won't happen overnight. Damn. And we'll take individual and collective effort. Step one, government girlfriends. No. (laughs) For individuals, the first step is integrating social isolation into our understanding of mental and physical health. We need to nurture relationships, new and old. This can mean being more mindful about staying connected to friends, texting, or actually picking up the phone. All right, Grandpa. Okay, I see where this (laughs) is going now. I see what we're up to here. Uh, Uh, Yeah. You know, like Mother's Day just happened. Uh, You know, your parents are getting old. They would love it if you'd answer the phone when you call and they called. You know what? Munya is combating the loneliness epidemic. He just like hosted his grandma, like, you know, around New York City for the last week. Like, that's right. Munya is the only good son or grandson in America, basically. He's the last one. (laughs) You heard it here first. I didn't say it. This is this is what many are saying. (laughs) (laughs) When your grandmother calls, do you pick up the phone? Do you answer the phone? I answer the phone. I even took I took everyone out to sushi on on Mother's Day because I was like, you know what, Grandmother's Day is like you know the the meta Mother's Day in a way, right? So mm-hmm. you, know, you gotta gotta trim to nice like New York sushi. Yeah, man. No, it was a good it was a good time. Um, had a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> went to a lot of different uh you know museums. Went to the new Natural History Museum, which the new wing and stuff that like. You know, you saw it probably on like the New York Times. It kind of looks like Fred Flintstone's, like the inside of Fred Flintstone's house, like the way they designed it. Oh, yeah. It. It's like <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we did some fun things. But she's, you know, she's, uh, it's really cool that she's like able to fly across the country and still, uh, you know, walk around New York. Still she was party. hitting up her friends and everything, you know, like that was, that was so cool. Yeah. Well, uh, I called my mom on Mother's Day and she began by saying, Oh, I'm just surprised to be hearing from you. So we're off to a good start. 
And then transitioned from that into, hey, pass the phone over to your wife. And so I handed the phone over to Brent and my mom and Brent proceeded to talk for like 25 minutes to which then I got the phone back. And my mom was like, well, I kind of told it all to Bren. And I was like, oh, okay. It's like, you got anything going on? And I was like, no, not really. It's like, all right, bye. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So, you know. Average American parent and son relationship right there. (laughs) Well, look, I don't go in for these manufactured consumer holidays. So there was no fun. That's so brave of you, Greg. Oh, my God. Wow. That's like revolutionary. That's really cool. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, we were going to hang out with... uh, you know, Greg later that day, although we then had a uh, Mother's Day emergency that had to be accounted for. But uh, Brim was like, do you think Greg might be busy today, though? Like, maybe he can't hang out. And I was like, Greg, busy on Mother's Day? No, I'm pretty sure he's free. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's all right. I I think he can come over. (laughs) All right, well, so back to the report. So, you know, Bloomberg, you know, they gave us that little helpful bit of tidbit, you know, answer when your parents call, right? Now they're uh, they're going back to the Department of Health's report and they're talking about the their bullet points of how to get past the loneliness epidemic. So here's some things that I'm sure are definitely going to happen. Uh, they say that you should have things like paid family leave. Well, we're not going to do that, clearly. <laughs> Establishing physical spaces such as libraries and parks where people can come together. Uh, the creation of public space. Sorry. Not on on the menu. Sorry. Uh, Have access uh, to physicians that recognize social isolation as a health risk. Yeah, I just don't think that we're going to get that either. But here's one that maybe we can get, which is we need more research into the root causes of our social isolation. Cell phones and social media are easy targets to blame, but the body of evidence around their harms versus benefits is complex. Uh, but they are a problem. So basically, what we're going to come down to is um, better apps on your cell phone. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to be the answer here. Better cool. apps on your cell phone uh, to get I'm you all feel for it, man. Whatever, whatever is going to make me more social. Yeah, I, I'm sure that'll solve the soul crushing <laughs> like ennui <laughs> that is created by late capitalism <laughs> by literally having nothing to live for and living in a society whose best days have gone and where the end is recognized by everybody as rapidly approaching. <laughs> the numbers that they cite of um, average daily minutes spent engaging with friends um has been like declining for like every single age group, but especially like the 15 to 24 age range when like you're actually hanging out with a lot of people and not as burdened by, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like neoliberalism and like capitalism is like, you know, in 2003, they had like 153 average daily minutes. And, you know, I won't even do 2020 because everyone will be like, Oh no, COVID, whatever. So 2019, that number went from 153 minutes to 67 minutes, right? Like that's like a pretty steep drop for, you know, not really like that much time. Well, it's been like sub 100 since 2015. And the funny part is the drop now has it like getting rapidly in line with every other age group where you're not allowed to basically have friends or social time because you're too busy working and then when you get home, you're too poor because your work doesn't pay enough and your landlord takes all your money to actually do anything. Um, 
where which I'm glad that teenagers are getting back into that. But hey, look, you know, child labor, first child labor success. (laughs) 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 But maybe the kids, you know, the kids can make friends at the, you know, the slaughterhouse, right? You know, they can make (laughs) friends with the guy on the line next to them, you know, as they're hacking up chickens. But yeah, it's uh, hey, look, this is uh, the world neoliberalism is built. I I don't know what to say. Feels bad, man. Yep. Feels bad. <laughs> Feels real bad. Welcome back to the Mechanical Freak Podcast, where nobody's lonely over here. All of us have healthy social lives and are doing just fine. Psychologically, physically, <laughs> emotionally, we're all doing great. Yep. Uh, we're... We're here uh, in Seattle, in Brooklyn, on the bleeding edge of neoliberalism today. How you guys doing? How, how are you guys doing today? Uh, I just got news about the trooper that is not great, but, you know. <laughs> 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 what, what, what's, what's your car news, Greg? Let's, get, let's, get, let's do Greg's it's car corner real quick. Look, it, it's fine. It, it's a gutless little piece of, you know, old Japanese farm equipment. It's not meant to have much power, but it definitely has less than it should. And I was really, I really believed it was a, like a valve or like a top end problem, like valve or maybe even fuel injector in, in the number two cylinder. Nah, man, it's, it's, it's going, it's blown past the rings into the crankcase. So it's not getting any better. That, that engine's just going to get worse and worse until the car stops driving. And then, uh, you know, it's going to the junkyard. That's probably what's happening to that shit. So it's fine. Probably yeah. I, it may it may drive as well as it does now for uh, another ten years. Who knows? <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. There you go. Well, that's been Greg's car corner. So for all you gearheads out there, uh, that's your exciting five minutes. <laughs> Have you ever considered uh, installing a NOS system, Greg? Getting that nitrous hooked up. Yeah, um, it's, you know, I don't think it's the really the right uh, platform for that. My (laughs) 2.2 liter uh, diesel engine. uh, (laughs) I don't don't think it's going to be very helpful there. (laughs) I remember one time we were going up a hill in Seattle uh, in, in your, you know, in your trooper. And it was basically maxed out. We were going as fast as we could, which was like four miles an hour. And it was during rush hour. And there's a line of cars behind us that were furious. Like I could feel the anger from. I can make it up any of the hills in Seattle. You just got to put in first gear. (laughs) Yeah, we we made it to the top. I'm not saying we didn't make it to the top. I'm just. I think it's still climb a mountain. Just like, you know, it's getting on the freeway. I'm a, a little dangerous, you know. (laughs) <laughs> so I always signal when I emerge. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, for all you listeners out there who are sad and lonely, uh, not like us, not like us. We have we got vibrant We're social built lives. Different. Yeah. We're built different. But if you you know, but if you're listening to this podcast for a friend, uh, you're not alone because apparently Seattle is dying. 171,000 people plan to leave King County in the next year, guys. Can you believe it? Damn. They plan King County to too, really be your own. <laughs> yeah, they don't really define plans to. anticipate a trend of people actually leaving? 
Now, what does that mean? Like, I'm already skeptical of this shit. I didn't read this article, Brian. You're bringing to this to me fresh, but like already my bullshit meter is going off the charts because like Seattle's been growing for a very long time at a rapid clip. Are we saying that has turned around? I don't think I've heard that. I can believe maybe the growth is slowing, but like even in a growth scenario in the way that like the American economy works now, people are always going to be leaving because people are moving all the time. People, you know, you can't put down roots anywhere. You're going to have a different job somewhere else. You're going to be moving around. So, and then I also immediately go to, wait, someone, a newspaper asked is like, yes, I'm leaving. I can't wait for the, the <clears throat> bullshit reasons for the bullshit lie that they're planning to leave at some <laughs> point in the future. Like, I'm just, I'm so ready for this. So basically what has happened is Como News has discovered that if you go to the Census Bureau website and access the data for King County, there's a cross tab that tells you people who've left and that, you know, numbers of people mm -hmm. who've moved out of the county uh, in a certain year. And I believe that the Census Bureau also has projections for the future. Right. And so that that's the whole basis of this. From there, they found two but, people. But again, to be clear, not like mean not meaning declines in actual population. Yeah, but yeah like yeah. <laughs> well, well, the like the door works both ways. Like you're not trapped here once you come here once. Like you also can leave. Like well, well, Greg, I think for clarity's sake, Como is just focusing on one fact, which is people leaving the county, uh -huh. and that has nothing to do with any ulterior motives. All right, <laughs> this is just because, like, look, you know, people come, people go. You know, we don't want to be too, you know, unclear in what we're discussing here. But they were able to find two people uh, that I'm sure were just friends they had, <laughs> who, who they're able to ask, who plan to move. And we're able to ask where they are planning to go. Now, they did mention that most people who leave the county, which, again, this is just from the Census Bureau, uh, tend to just go to Snohomish, Pierce, or Kitsap, right? So they're just being... Coma would not phrase it this way, but they're being forced out of the city because of the high costs, right? Because of rents, and yeah. et cetera, right? And so yeah. are attempting yeah. to find... And other richer people are moving in in higher numbers, and what's left of the poor people are being driven out. Yeah. 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 Uh, which there was another like report that came. I can't remember if it was Wall Street Journal or something like that. That was got some play this week on Twitter about uh, they got all excited. Like, uh, it looks like millennials prefer the suburbs now. And like, all you know, millennials <laughs> are moving in larger numbers of the suburbs and having to explain to these people. It's like, so what's happening with cities is cost of living has increased forcing people who might want to live there to have to move out into the suburbs. So yes, shifts happen both ways with gentrification, right? Like people both go yeah. into places and are kicked out of places. The people that are kicked out of places have to go somewhere, you know, but yeah, essentially that's what's happening now. Uh, so most of them are just going to the suburbs, right? Uh, to try and find cheaper housing while maintaining whatever jobs that they have, right? Now, some of them are leaving the state and uh, they give the list of counties that you're most likely to move to. Anybody want to guess what the number one uh, out-of-state county that, that King County people are moving to is? Out-of-state. Uh, uh, yeah, or out of city. State? You, can give me the, you can give me the city in it. It's, it's, there's a big city there. Los Where are people Angeles? moving to? L.A. is actually number two. Maricopa County, Arizona. So everybody's moving to Arizona. Oh, Whoa. my fucking God, uh, dude. 
What? Yeah. Okay, I was like talking about um, maybe maybe yeah. you guys have like some insight into this. I don't understand how Phoenix is like the fourth largest city in America. Um, Disgusting because, city, if you've ever been. <laughs> like, I mean, it's so like, there's, hot. like if you like look Free up real estate, Munya, that's if, the answer. If you look up like the industries in Phoenix, like mm-hmm. it's literally all of the industries that are like a baseline requirement for a city to function, like healthcare. Yeah agriculture mining like you know like yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you know <laughs> like administrative <laughs> services uh my 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 buddy uh was down there for like a consulting thing and he said like when he was driving to the airport which took like about an hour or so um all he saw from phoenix to the airport were just billboards for injury lawyers like that was it like that that's like what he said like phoenix downtown is actually pretty tiny like it's not even like a sprawled or big in any way um there's not tall buildings so he's like how do even a million people like live here in general? Like it, there was so many baffling things about Phoenix that just like blew his mind. He's like, what, what's the, even the purpose of this thing? <laughs> just it's sprawl for sprawl's sake. Yeah. It just like goes out for miles and miles of tracked homes. Like, yeah. Uh, Let me introduce you to the state of Texas. Uh, Yeah, no, Phoenix is always funny to me because Phoenix is just like San Antonio, just minus the culture. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like it's like poverty wages. Yes. The city that sprawls in every direction for, you know, miles and miles. So it's impossible to get around. Hot as shit all the fucking time. Way too hot, some might say. Uh, but whereas San Antonio has a dangerous amount of culture in it, Phoenix is like, no, we wiped all that out. Don't worry about that. <laughs> no, no problems here. Um that's like just, almost that's just like Honestly, Phoenix is like almost like more bleak than being like from like a like kind of like quirky, like small town, like going nowhere, a small town, you know, that like people like kind of talk about as like the punchline. I'm like, damn, like it might be like even more bleak to like live in like a major city that has like absolutely nothing going on, you know, like (laughs) that that's almost more blackpilling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm moving to a city, too, that's like, you know, they're not going to have water, right? They basically don't have water right now. <laughs> they're not going to have water in the future. And uh, I don't know where Arizona draws its water from, but I can already tell you California owns that water. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't need to look into the details. Mm-hmm. California owns that water. You're fucked. Like, uh, just moving into the into the apocalypse here, right? Someone so- someone recently was um, at, I was like at a party and someone was uh, talking about how they're uh, I think parents or grandparents like bought real estate in Miami and like, you know, people were kind of like, oh, haha, like, you know, enjoy it while it lasts. Right. And they were like, wait, what, what, what do you mean? And they're like, well, <laughs> I mean, you know, and she was, and then she was like, uh, what, like, is Miami like sinking or something? Like, I mean, like de- dead serious. In a way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're about to be one of those like Lovecraftian cities at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in, in the water rising too, like you could you could play that off and be like, oh, I got at least a good decade or two, right? The uh the the water, the actual like potable water crisis that's happening in the West is that shit is here now. There was a, a story just the other day that Moses likes aquifers running out of water. <laughs> and so oh, they're going to have to engage in emergency, you know, measures to try and preserve what drinking water they have. And, you know, my uh, my confidence that Moses Lake, the city or the county government there will be able to accomplish that is uh, extremely low. But, yeah, I mean, it's all over the West. You know, the the potable water crisis is is hitting. Um, I was listening to an interview where they're talking to um, 
legal advisors for the state of Nevada that was trying to get out of all their water contracts they signed with the state of California. <laughs> like the early 20th century that basically say California has first drawing rights on every ounce of water in Nevada. And like, well, you know, I mean, the, the circumstances have changed. So I think California, they should enter into a good faith negotiation with us uh, about, you know, like sharing this water to make sure there's not a crisis in Nevada. And I was like, yeah, good luck with that one. Hmm. I, I'm sure California's mm. lawyers are hearing that and being like, oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Mr. Burns just hitting the release the dogs button. But yeah, the water crisis is real. OK, so let's get back though, to the people that are moving. They interview some goof who's moving to Texas, uh, who basically, you know, says that he wants warmer weather, but then gets to the point that he can't afford to live in King County, which is the actual reason why everybody's moving. But then we get to uh, another guy moving to Texas, Rocky Martinez, who left King County last summer after losing his firefighting job because of Washington's vaccine mandate. Quote, people don't feel safe anymore, <laughs> oh he told Como News. Come on, Citing, man. citing Come on. police's inability to chase after drivers during certain crimes. <laughs> so... Okay, okay, come on, come on. Like, where do you even fucking start? So he tells you right away why he had to move. He lost his fucking job because he wouldn't get a vaccine. And they're like, oh, but what? But sir, why did you move? Oh, it's crime. And um, police can't do the thing. I've been watching Como. So I think that police can't arrest criminals or do high speed chases, which they uh, never stopped doing. And now definitely can. Because they just like passed the law <laughs> saying, please do more chases. The fuck? And they just print this well, shit. And it's what just so one. Bags. The uh, the whole thing about him losing his firefighting job, they had talked to him in a previous article, too. So this is just a guy they have on speed dial for like when we need an insane uh. take. Right. But I love the the risk assessment here. Right. I don't need a COVID vaccine. Fuck that. That's bullshit. Uh, but I am. My life is in mortal danger because police cannot do high speed chases anymore. <laughs> I just love the risk assessment of like your middle aged conservative male. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> you got to love it. Um, so he moved off to Texas. Uh, they interviewed some other people. You know, uh, it's the crime. Do I feel safe enough walking to the park with my one year old uh, kid just to play a little bit? Who knows what could happen? I'm sure that paranoid fear of crime is going to go away when that person moves to another city. <laughs> it's not just going to oh, yeah. re-manifest itself in exactly the same way. Uh, you know, that and the fact that Seattle has like some of the lowest crime rates in America. <laughs> so it's like, well, that's the thing. He's going to move to somewhere, place with higher crime, actually, but that the visible sort of physical structural culture of which is coded in a way to him that like, he thinks is safer than the city because he's insane and out of touch with reality. Yeah. And it, you know, they don't give, so that guy moved to Minnesota and they don't give any more details than that. But as me and Munya covered in an earlier episode of mechanical freak, uh, people in Minneapolis are having the exact same homeless crime panic, all fueled by gentrification and real estate schemes yeah. uh, that they're having here, you know, like, so I'm sure he's just been, plugged into the his local you know panic and is is busy telling minneapolis about how he can't go to the park anymore because he's yeah. too scared <laughs> every time i every time i try to go to gasworks park my pants immediately just full fill full of diarrhea <laughs> and i can't leave my house <laughs> 
Well, and, uh, you know, similar Seattle, you know, other city news. Guys, did you see that the city of San Francisco is trying to steal our thunder? Once again. With their own version of San Francisco is dying, aired on CNN called What Happened to San Francisco? This is bullshit, guys. (laughs) I I don't want to go straight to CNN. They went straight to the national. Yeah. Word for word, bar for bar. I I hate to have hometown pride here, but uh, fuck you, San Francisco. (laughs) Right? All stealing our thunder. Always think that they're big brother to us. Like, this is ours. You know, let us have this one. Well, and I like it too because it does show, you know, a certain dichotomy, right? You know, Seattle, we released ours on a local indie media label, you know. Uh, exactly. We we didn't like mm-hmm. grassroots. We didn't, we didn't, you know, we weren't worried about scaring away the normies, you know, by having, you know, a title that's too aggressive. We went Seattle mm-hmm. is dying and put big needles. We made the space needle look like a, you know, a hypodermic needle or whatever, right? <laughs> uh, we we went hard in the paint and, and just openly said we should open up concentration camps on an island for the homeless so that they can all be imprisoned in perpetuity. <laughs> uh, I'm going to venture guess that what happened to san francisco they i mean look we kept it indie they're just doing you know sell out pop music out. uh prime <laughs> panic yeah you know so and, lame yeah yeah it just you know uh, it just upsets me because i know that the little police departments all over the country this is going to be what they get into and they don't know what the real stuff was yeah right you know? they don't know what the origin they don't know the source they only know the derivative material which then like makes them produce like worse derivative material right like they didn't actually know the roots yeah are there are there any old heads at the beaumont police department to let people know that like hey guys i know this one's a little more lo-fi it doesn't have you know all the the glitz but you got to feel the rawness of this (laughs) seattle yeah you got to hear the passion the rawness like this is like where all these like you know like uh, hot shot like radio hits come from but you know you guys you guys gotta actually listen to the real shit and you know <laughs> that's what Seattle is dying is a local indie label releasing some bangers that was <laughs> that was really only for the heads of Seattle yeah. wasn't it's intended just, to hit it big it's just sub pop versus gaffin all over again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> literally <laughs> well uh, we had other exciting news for the state of Washington. Uh, yesterday, uh, hot news, hot off the press, new drug law just dropped. We were all excited several weeks back that maybe uh, Washington would just forget <laughs> to, to pass a new drug law and all of our uh, current patchwork drug laws that the state had put in uh, temporarily would uh, go away and we would accidentally do the right thing and legalize drug possession in the state of Washington. Luckily, our Democrat-led legislature and governor were able to put a stop to that. So this is from the Stranger article. Uh, Just a quick little summation here. Uh, Quote, After a day-long special session on Tuesday, Governor Jay Inslee signed a new deal to reboot Washington's war on drugs. The legislation increases criminal penalties for drug possession, creates a new criminal offense for public drug use, gives prosecutors more power to direct people to jail rather than to diversion programs, allows cities and counties to ban harm reduction services, and adds barriers to sitting uh, 
Jesus, and adds barriers to citing drug treatment facilities. The legislation sailed through the House and Senate, passing with wide margins and bipartisan support. Now, lawmakers hope the millions attached to the bill for addiction treatment will be enough to prevent county jails from overflowing with new drug possession cases. Due to staff shortages and overcrowding, the state's jails currently have some of the highest death rates in the country, according to reporting by the Seattle Times. So big legislative success at Olympia, guys. Yeah, I mean, for the record, this is exactly what we said would would, ha- would happen, which is they would basically pass the they would do the special session. They would pass essentially the Republican, quote unquote, compromise bill that, you know, the Seattle Times and everyone else was calling the compromise bill that was, you know, written by the Republican minority and that the Democrats would ultimately go with it. Like, I mean, I think it's phrased well in those paragraphs that like they try to the Democrats tried to put lipstick on this pig, but they they ultimately did do what that the Republican bill, which is make it a gross misdemeanor possession, a gross misdemeanor. Now, the maybe the worst part about that was the higher uh, maximum sentence than was previously under the old like overruled drug law. They have reduced that in this bill by half. Um, so. You know, they they I guess mitigated the the worst the sort of it's so it's so perfect, right? Because like this is what being a Democrat is, this is what being a liberal is, this is what compromise is about. The Republicans put, you know, the the forces of reaction and carceration and the drug war, you know, launch an offensive that is, you know, to undo any possible progress, any possible redress of you know, the awful like system we live in and you find the like worst, most heinous thing to harp on in it. The most like fundamental, like quintessential, like easiest to understand. This is why this is so horrible. But what you miss the point in doing that is like, well, fine. Great. OK, they got rid of they they undid that like really ironic fucked up thing where like the penalties were going to be worse than previously under the old system that the Supreme Court overruled, except it'll be legal going forward. Mm-hmm. And so they undid that, but it still did like it's still an enormous loss. It is still a continuation of the drug war. And it's it's fucking worse. They added they've come up with an entire new crime of uh, public drug use, which is so fucking perfect, because what is this going to be used to do? Right. It's going to be used to uh, crack down on fucking poor people, which is the whole point of the drug war. It's what like all this is about. But like in this moment when like we're having this, you know, real estate crisis that is, you know, since, you know, for years, I mean, we just talking about Seattle's dying is being blamed on a drug problem, basically like, and, you know, the all, cities like Seattle looking are begging for ways to like crack down on people more. Well, they're going to have it, you know, like this is, um, this is whole new penalty for uh, this whole new tool to put in the hands of, of these cities and cops um, to to crack down on people doing public drug use, essentially meaning like uh, private drug use is now more legal. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it always was it always because it always was, you know, a thing that's very easy for people who have homes to get away with all the time and keep going on with their lives. Right. But like. If you don't have a place to do your drugs, now you get to be criminalized for 
not having a home again something that was already happening but now there's this new like uh chapter of the book to throw at the homeless basically mm. well it's also to be clear you know the police's interpretation of your drug use too right uh which yeah, we already know yeah. that police believe that the very act of being homeless means that you're on drugs right uh now yeah to, to sort of uh let me let me give the paragraph from the stranger article that explains this real fast uh, starting July 1st, the penalty for carrying a drug or using a drug in public will increase to a gross misdemeanor. Though that charge typically carries a maximum penalty of 364 days in jail, the max sentence for persons first and second offense will, for either crime will be 180 days. For any subsequent offense, the judge can sentence a person the full 364 days. The yeah. bill will always limit the fine to $1,000. So to break that down just a little bit, you know, you say, Oh, well, they, you know, they got this little thing put in where the first two times the police decide to arrest a homeless person, uh, they can only give them a hundred crime of addiction. Yeah, that they can only give 180 days. But as we're constantly reminded by Como and other right wing sites on here, uh, the homeless are arrested all the time for being poor. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, so yeah, it's not unusual to have like rap sheets that are, you know, 40, 50, 60 offenses long because being visibly poor in America is a crime that you could be arrested for at any time and yeah. are arrested for all the time. And, right. And then that, that, yeah, that's a, an important to point out that element. Like that was the, like the, uh, yes, it's even worse. The bullshit, like democratic response to the, the Republican bill that set them up to, to come to this place was like the, the, big flaw that they were all out there talking about and being quoted in the papers like oh this is so terrible was about not just was about the maximum sentence for even first first time offenders you know and that was like that was their big like oh how isn't this awful isn't this this is how bad this bill is it's for even first time offenders can get slapped with a higher uh sentence than under the old struck down law and it's like well then that that's all you saved. And yeah. And then they're going around now talking like, oh, we put in, uh, you know, 60 million or something for a, to, to pump into a smattering of existing programs like, you know, law enforcement assisted diversion and shit. Like, again, just like all but again, all integrated with law enforcement. Um, it's really emblematic. I don't know if you remember when we read the about this like two weeks ago, the um, state senator who got a lot of the quotes was Manka Dingra from Redmond um, in those articles we read about like trying to push for uh, decriminalization, you know, using this opportunity, blah, blah, blah. And uh, this is her in a previous stranger article before the bill had actually passed, but when it, when it dropped um, pushing the bill, essentially uh, saying like, uh, this is so Dingra argued the bill reflects that the legislature is serious about public health, about a public health approach to drug addictions. Options for treatment are available prior to arrest, after arrest and before trial. People can also access treatment services provided through this bill, regardless of where a person's case is in the process. She said if a person is arrested and waiting, waiting for a charge, they can still access treatment. Quote, I'll just say this is not a bill where anybody got everything they wanted. It's a bill that's implementable. We can start taking action to help people. So this is the Washington state level politician who was the person who was quoted like in all the papers for the the decriminalization side who was supposedly working toward that. Right. 
who was the person going like, we really need to use this opportunity. And this is them now, like before this bill was passed, going like, you know what? We should vote for this bill and look and just just trying to smear the lipstick on this pig of this like, you know, alluding to this nothing like 60 million dollars of existing to just further fund existing underfunded programs that are all part of the same system. And just this is what this is what you are as a Democrat. This is why. And I mean, it's part of a big, you know, larger structural problems here. But like this is what they'll do every time they they want. They'll fail and what and their instinct is to sell it to you, you know, mm. you could just if you were really the person, if there was actually I mean, this just tells you there was never any serious appetite for decriminalization, even with the Democrats oh, yeah. in this yeah. state, which I mean, that's not a surprise. But like if this if that if there was this this person, this senator, Dingra, could have just fucking voted no, you know, and she didn't. She voted yes. She's out here being quoted going like yes let's vote for it they fucking all did only 12 house democrats voted no on the thing in the end and they're all from they're all from seattle yeah no i mean basically everybody in olympia got the bill they wanted right which was a bill targeted at the homeless yes they got the cover of like they set up the domino of like oh this is the real big problem with this bill talking about it as like an example of why we shouldn't do this. But then in the end, they just address that one thing and they all get to go slap themselves on the back and really get what they want, which is to have paraded around like they gave a shit about the drug war and decriminalizing and then not do it. Yeah. And I think on that point, uh, just to, to point to one more thing, just to show they got the sort of bill that they wanted, right? That last sentence of the paragraph that I read about the the public usage being a misdemeanor, the bill will always limit the fine to one thousand dollars, right? And I imagine this was a big win for like House Democrats yeah. or whatever. Like, oh, we got the fine down to just one thousand dollars. But if you're homeless, right? I'm a venture yeah. guest. You don't got a thousand dollars in cash on you, and that thousand dollar fine might as well be a million dollar fine. But so those things of like, oh, well, Republicans wanted uh, the fines to be ten thousand, and we got them to one thousand. It's like, but you understand that's that's uh, you know, a distinction without a difference when the targeted yeah. population are the poorest people in America. And of course, they won't be able to pay the fine, which will then create another situation where they can be arrested. Right. And that's the yeah. ultimate function of this bill is to make sure that the homeless can be arrested. Now, if you get to the, the bottom of the stranger article, they have a quote from the uh, House Minority Leader. It sums up the point of what they're actually up to here. So Minority Leader uh, Brown promised the public would start to notice progress on public signs of drug use quickly because the bill allowed law enforcement and prosecutors to immediately engage people with drug addictions. Uh, <laughs> he goes on to say, the bill is not going to lead to an uptick of jail stays because there'll be treatment. And then, quote, if all we see out of this is more jail days, We'll probably need to rethink, Broad said. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say right now, uh, all we're going to see out of this is more jail days, and they're not going to rethink it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they've got it. Yeah. It's there. It's now there forever. Like, it's a, that's, this is over. I mean, Westnut in the, in the Times says it pretty well. The headline, the dream of decriminalizing is dead. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. he, he sums he's, up, right. he's, trying, he's right. trying to act like he's not gloating in this, but like, I'll skip what he mostly has to say um but like i just want to like hit on this point um he says hold on what about seattle 
When the state passes a law, it doesn't mean local jurisdictions have to enforce it. Barring a political sea change, the odds seem stacked against Seattle intervening munch with people smoking fentanyl on downtown streets. Seattle and King County weren't enforcing drug laws much back when drug possession was a felony. When I wrote about King County's drug court program earlier this year, they told me they hadn't seen any drug possession cases there in years. Again, like dr- drug possession wasn't uh, uh, yeah. a was a was a misdemeanor for the last like uh, two years. So most defendants were there for property crimes related to drug use uh, on Tuesday. All 12 Democrats in the House who voted no on this bill were from districts that represent parts of Seattle. Many on the current Seattle City Council don't support recriminalizing drugs either. And it isn't clear. It isn't clear what Mayor Seattle Bruce Harold's stance is. Last month, he told me he would, quote, take a pass, unquote, on the question, but was leery about using cops to enforce drug laws due to his experience growing up in the 60s and 70s in Seattle's central area. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> what when the city attorney Ann Davison suggested a public use law? Well, now hang on. She was suggesting a public use law. Um, she is the city attorney. Mm-hmm. That's gonna matter. Uh one city council member, Tammy Mor- Morales, tweeted hard pass. Oh, he's 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 got it there. That's mm-hmm. his evidence. Um yeah. the uh the the mayor didn't want to uh put out a quote on it and a city council member tweeted hard pass on um, a public use law. Wow. Uh, yeah. Remember when they all said they were going to defund the police too? Yeah. Bottom line, expect pushback against the law in Seattle. I mean, yeah, for whatever that matters. And for it to be a big el- election issue this fall. I mean, that's going to be true in that it's going to continue to be like the the right in this town, the, the homeowner fucking, uh, the psych, the handful of psycho Republicans and the, the freak liberal homeowners are going to continue to be. And like the small, the downtown small business people, the, the, the DSA, they're all going to still be harping on, you know, open air drug use as when, what they really mean is, you know, poor, visible, poor people. Yeah. That's all going to be an issue. And it, it's insane to imagine that like, this change in the state law isn't going to lead to like more people in Seattle also being arrested and prosecuting for this. Now it is true that Seattle uh, long before the, um, the Supreme court struck down the felony law was not uh, enforcing all uh, drug possession uh, you know, like, but that was previous administrations different. That was the felony laws they weren't enforcing. That that doesn't have like. There's all this lipstick being painted on this pig, and like, yeah, this is Harold. This is exactly what Harold wants. Certainly, we know. I mean, we know he's just said it's what the city attorney wants. God knows it's what the cop want. Cops want. So unless like the mayor's office comes out extremely strongly against reinterpreting this new law at the state level like in a way that means prosecuting it like that's what they're going to do like even whatever the old policy was right that goes back to previous administrations against fully enforcing or you know deprioritizing is really all they did the supposedly the enforcement of the felony state felony drug laws in seattle 
Well, now that doesn't exist. So that policy is out the window, right? So you would need, so the police and the city attorney now have it in their court to interpret this completely new legal paradigm in any way they see fit, I think is probably the the assumption they're going to make. And so you would need a Mayor Bruce Harrell, who was deeply committed to making some other policy going forward in order to prevent that from happening. Okay. But there's no reason he's saying, he's saying, ah, I don't want to weigh in on it. It's going to be the absence of, uh, re- of addressing that. That's going to determine how the SPD and the city attorney like arrest and prosecute this new law. And, I think we can easily understand that this is right in line with Harold's like priorities of cleaning up visible poverty and, you know, revitalizing downtown with fucking like, uh, you know, literal window dressing. And I, I don't I don't I, I think West Neat, as usual, is off his nut here. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's worth mentioning, too, that, uh, you know, every city, the city attorney, you know, has advising on like, hey, let's not pursue like small item shoplifting or like let's not pursue whatever. And it's important to understand that it's not a result of like political commitments to decriminalization on the part of the city or the attorney. It's that the United States imprisons so many people, more than any country on the planet by every metric that you want to measure it by, even more than all the scary authoritarian states that you're told to be afraid of. Uh that the whole system is swamped. Like, so the whole thing that Seattle had for years about like, look, we're not going to prosecute like low level possession was that Mm -hmm. we're so swamped. The courts are so swamped. The jails are so swamped. We can't continue to shove every citizen in the country in prison. You know, the, the country itself has a poor population that is measured in the tens of millions, right? You can't put every single one of them in prison you know, simultaneously, you have to have a revolving system of imprisonment, you know, that keeps your criminal justice system in the like eight to 10 million range. Right now, I think that the actual answer that we're going to come to and we're quickly coming to, as shown in the indie documentary, Seattle is dying uh, and is now being endorsed by future President Trump is concentration camps. Like we're we're essentially moving towards concentration camps uh, in order to maintain urban real estate uh, values, right? And to keep the urban real estate speculation system going, uh, it's the only thing that can actually function. You can't have a pretend criminal justice system and imprison twenty million people. You need to. You have to. Uh, you have to release the the valve somewhere. You know, you got to open the valve somewhere and say, well, some people just go straight to prison. You know, uh, mm-hmm. and we've done that a lot. I mean, nobody goes to trial in this country because we can't the court system can't handle it. But we need the release. We need even more release in the system to get even more people into cages. And uh, I, I think we won't call them concentration camps. Of course, they'll be, you know, happy fun time centers or whatever. But that, I think that's the obvious uh, movement we're going to. But it is worth noting that, like, you know, Westy's argument, shock of all shocks, is, of course, disingenuous from the beginning. <laughs> there was never a move in Seattle to de- decriminalize anything. They just couldn't handle the load of arrests, right? If you make everything illegal, just being po- poor illegal, you and you tell the police to arrest everybody they see, you know, you do. There are choke points that you know, have to be accounted for. 
Um, yeah. You know, and I will say it's very funny. Uh, they, the stranger dedicates a few paragraphs to the sort of window dressing where they address some of these choke points. They give a few million dollars to the state crime labs, but then quickly mentioned, but the police are going to flood these crime labs with like every, you know, bit of dust that they find on the sidewalk. So uh, the crime labs, which are currently completely swamped, are just going to continue to be that way. Uh, they did forward a little bit of money for um, treatment facilities, right, on-site treatment facilities, but did not get rid of the media notice requirements for said treatment facilities. So there'll be money if you want to build a drug treatment facility for people. Uh, The state will have money for that. But you'll also have to publish in the press that you plan to build a drug treatment facility in somebody's neighborhood. And uh, then they'll, of course, shut it down and you won't be able to do it. So uh, a beautiful catch 22 in there that Democrats can claim as a victory, but will lead to literally nothing happening uh, in the status quo of the criminal justice system continuing. Um, I do want to give credit and just read, I think, the most perfect summation of this uh, whole process was given by friend of the show, Rich Smith, which is, the GOP got most of what it wanted in Washington's drug bill in exchange for basically nothing. And that is the summation of yeah. what happened. Thus ends a two-year saga uh, that in a totally predictable way, you know? Yeah. Well, that sucks. Um, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so beyond uh, reigniting the drug war, we do have some other throwbacks that are happening and that we're having a uh, writer's strike in Hollywood. The WGA is on strike again. Uh, It's got me very concerned. What's going to happen to my Chicago lineup of shows on CPS, Chicago FD, Chicago PD, uh, Chicago EMS? Am I going to, you know, am I going to get my continual like uh, IV stream of Chicago-based procedural content uh, shoved into my veins. Greg, what's going on with the, with the writer's strike? What's happening? Uh, I'm Everything's fine. They're going to be fine. <laughs> that's that's the answer. Look, <laughs> l- labor's entitled to all it's all it creates. Like, I'm, I'm not, like, here to be like, uh, oh, who gives a shit about these writers? Like, their professional class or whatever. No, like, they should get that bag. And they should get, you know, whatever control of their shop floor they can. They should do what they're doing. Look out in the future of how technology is going to affect their, um, you know, their industry and their livelihood. And like, I think the biggest like takeaway for me is that they're going to be fine. Um, There's something extremely unique about the Writers Guild of America in uh in the history of the labor movement and it is that like well first of all they go they they strike every 10 to 15 years uh for going back forever and they always get what they want um it's like no other fucking story even in the the uh the film business like and that but i think that has to do with like some of the fundamental problems of organizing labor just don't exist in uh, the writer's room in that industry, you're talking about a group of people that, is, I mean, the oldest joke in Hollywood, like the oldest, like, le- like wisdom in Hollywood is that the studios hate the writers and would get rid of them if they could. And the writers feel the same way about the studios, right? Like, so the level of actual consciousness 
about the social economic relationship between the writers and the bosses is probably more like consciously understood by writers than like any laboring group in the history of the world. Like it's a, it's practically a cliche. It's something like they understand on a gut level at all times, uh, that, you know, they're in both economic and daily, like creative opposition to their bosses, that that's all a struggle. Unlike some difficult to organize industries where like, which has been an issue of the last few, the wave of like organizing over the last few years of like, oh, what kind of industries is a union really right for? You know, does it have, does, does part of the question is like sometimes workers feeling like, well, their work doesn't really have value. They're kind of just lucky to be doing this like low skill job, like Amazon warehouse or barista or something, you know, like this is a sort of a, a, a hurdle to get over um, when you're organizing. And it's like writers, writers, are the most aware people on the planet that like they, that their work is precious and good. Only they can do it. Their bosses could not possibly make a dime without them. Like this is ingrained in the psyche of every writer. Uh, they believe what they're doing is valuable and good for society as well, that they should be rewarded. They should think they should have more power and more money, not less. And at the same time, most of them, aren't don't have like entrepreneurial mindset mm -hmm. like even though it has always taken a now right now that like no one's on like long-term studio contracts like in the golden era or anything it is all a hustle you've got to hustle for these like part-time like short-term gigs like all the time still even if it took some some entrepreneurial entrepreneurial like hustling to get in and maintain in the business they all as a as a group generally resent that very consciously there's shitheads and psychos in the business like aaron sorkin who's come out against the strike and you know huge piece of <laughs> oh shit my god absolute fucking scum yeah um uh, uh oh i sh should look up see if there's any mammoth quotes out there actually also i bet he said some 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 d disgusting shit but like but most of them resent absolutely resent the entrepreneurial hustle part of the business um and genuinely have solidarity with other writers so like you add to that and then like that's always been the case with the wga you add to that like what they're saying what the the writers have been saying the interviews see is like they're actually more organized now than ever partly because the last one went so well and the somewhat esoteric issues like that they preemptively raised in 2008 about like make making sure they had jurisdiction over the streaming content uh which was which was nascent in 2008 um but they made sure like that shit all had to be on writers guild contract now like that has the entire guild can see now like that was incredibly prescient because if they had not done that in 2008, if they had not struck to get the even like, like they don't, they, the contracts for the streaming stuff suck. And that's part of what they're fighting for now. But they have contracts, yeah, you know, yeah. they have jurisdiction. You, the, the, the Writers Guild contract signatories, the studios and the networks who do the streaming stuff still have to, you know, be on writer's guild contracts. The, the contracts are bad. 
um, because that was the compromise. It's like, well, this stuff's this weird little thing. You know, we don't have a, there's no real business model. It's not profitable. It's this side thing we haven't figured out. So the contracts for this are going to be bad, but they're Writers Guild contracts. And if they hadn't done that, if they had like let themselves get cut out of that shit like 15 years ago, well, they'd be, there would be no Writers Guild now. So like, and then add to that, just like the generational thing of like, you know, the, the like millennials who are, you know, a large portion of the guild now, like just are very, you know, open to organizing and, and, uh, you know, union work, like in an already militant, uh, professional guild, like they're going to be fucking fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting hearing that, uh, that, you know, one of the things we talked about with discussing previous Hollywood issues, uh, vis-a-vis labor, is sort of the locationality of some of the union stuff too. Like, you know, the, mm-hmm. like Hollywood can run away from certain unions by just filming somewhere else, right? Yeah. Uh, that kind of stuff. And, um, it, you know, and directors can be, you know, idiosyncratic in certain ways to get away from the DGA and stuff like that. But the Writers Guild, it, it is kind of hard to get away. I think I think the the way they thought they might do it is with the streaming content and of course they mm-hmm. got the shittiest possible like version of that co- you know deal or whatever on the streaming content but uh yeah i mean the writer's guild seems to be uh in the driver's seat now i will say that they go on strike every 10 years is also probably why they're so class conscious uh the yeah yeah, uh, yeah iam the internet what's well, the success of the last one yeah has a huge effect on them wanting to do it now yeah you know? yeah yeah, the, yeah. The, the local IAM, the International Association of Machinists, local 751 that covered Boeing, the reason why they had such good deals for so long and had much better labor contracts than most American, you know, manufacturers going into the, you know, 2000, late 2000 aughts, right, uh, was they did go on strike all the time, unlike a lot of UAW chapters and things like that. Like, they were constantly going on strike against Boeing, which keeps your labor force militant. Right. Because it allows them to see what the game is. Right. And how you actually win yeah. uh, advances. Now, that's, you know, ultimately that power of local 751 was broken by the state. Right. The governor came in and personally intervened to break the union. Uh, you, you know, that's production critical to war maintenance. So, you know, the state will do that. I don't know that Hollywood's going to get quite that relief from Joe Biden. I don't think he's going to come in and, and break the WGA strike for him. No. <laughs> he's like, Stranger Things has to get back on the air. <laughs> Send the National Guard in to write Stranger My Things. My granddaughter needs to watch this show right now. <laughs> need to watch Wednesday well, like, by Jenna Ortega. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that, that's the other thing. Like, the, the, the writers, like, they want to get paid more for making Defense Department propaganda. Yeah, they yeah. want to make sure they still have jurisdiction and that it's Writers Guild writers writing the next, like, uh, Michael Bay yeah. uh, Navy show or fucking Top Gun movie. Like, and they want a piece of the action. You know, they yeah. want, they know. But, like, think just, like, think about, like, like right, what's the, the key, like, what's, like, labor consciousness, like, organizing about? It's, like, about, like, you labor is entitled to what it creates you're creating this you deserve the profit from it and it's being stolen from you from above and that's something that's hard to like indoctrinate a lot of workers in like to 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 sell on a lot of people in america like just growing up in this culture and then see just of labor being devalued and like of the boss you know being the job creator who you who you're lucky to have a job from and it's like, no writer thinks that way. They think like, oh, yeah, 
this is me. Everything on the screen, that's me. I did that. Mm -hmm. That's why my name's fucking on it, because we struck 100 years ago. And that's why, you know, but I should be getting all the money. There Mm -hmm. shouldn't be a studio. There should just be me. I should be in charge uh, and (laughs) I should be getting all the money. That's how they all feel. So, like, easiest thing in the book, they'll they'll win. Yeah. 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 And, you know, look, uh, try as they might, you know, building up chat GPT or whatever, whatever AI software. I think we all know that no computer is ever going to be able to write an episode of Young Sheldon as good as, uh, you know, people. So so I, I have confidence the writers are going to outlast this wave. All right. Well, let's end it there. Uh, guys, it's been a pleasure potting. Yeah, it oh, has. Yeah. Enjoy the scorching weather. Yeah, yeah, the weather sucks. Let's talk 45 more minutes about that. No, it's too hot in Seattle, but what are you going to do? All right, everybody. May. Everybody May. fucking May. Yeah, yeah enjoy the hot <laughs> weather, everybody in Seattle. and Brooklyn, it's uh, 60 degrees and breezy, I hear. So Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> All right, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Good night.